The first presentation, uh, I titled it The Two Trees. And there's a huge foundational lesson that we learned about education from these two trees. Uh, the story is found in Genesis chapter one, I mean chapter three, verses one through six, and forgive me, but uh, on the other place I, I had a table and here's solo, I can't see it, so I'm gonna sit down if you don't mind so I can read it. Um, by partaking, oh sorry, I actually don't have it here. In the Spanish one, I had it on the, on the presentation. Okay, so I'm gonna go to my Bible here and look for it, forgive me for that, I should have been prepared. So we are in the book of Genesis, chapter three. And we're starting with verse one. This is the, sad, the saddest story ever told. And it begins in the beginning of time. And it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yet hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Verse 5, this is a key verse here. For God doth know, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So here Satan is insinuating that the reason why God said not to eat of this tree is because there's something that God is keeping from them, which is true, but in his insinuation, he is making them believe that this something is something good, something that they should desire. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So she listened to the serpent and his insinuation and then she looked at the tree and it, it looked good, right? And so this is a lesson for us because we cannot trust what we see. We cannot trust our senses because a lot of things that the world is doing, it looks good. And we wanna copy the world thinking it's a good thing and wanna bring it into our schools. But we cannot go by what we see. We need to go simply by the principles that have been given to us. Now regarding this passage in the book Patriots and Prophets, page 54, Ellen Y says, God hath freely given them good and withheld evil, but they had eaten of the forbidden tree and now they would have the knowledge of evil all the days of their life. Instead of happy labor, anxiety and toil were to be their lot. They would be subject to disappointment, grief and pain, and finally to death. Oh, sorry, I read. <laughs> I read the wrong one. That was Eternity Past, page 28. The one that it's talking about this um, passage that you're looking at is uh, Patriots and Prophets, page 54. It says, by partaking of this tree, he declared they would attain to a more exalted sphere of existence and enter a broader field of knowledge. And he insinuated 
that the Lord jealously desired to withhold it from them, lest they should be exalted to equality with himself. Such has been Satan's work from the days of Adam to the present, and he has pursued it with great success. He tempts men to distrust God's love and to doubt his wisdom. So the work that Satan did in, in the Garden of Eden, he's still doing today. He's still making us believe that there's something that we're missing out. We look outside to the world and what they're doing, and we must grab these things because what God gave us is too simple, um, not exciting enough, or whatever the case may be. Something we're missing. But the reality is that what God was withholding from them was the evil, and he had no intention that they ever would experience evil. But when we choose to listen to the insinuations of the devil, only evil will come out of that. And like we read on this, um, when I got ahead of myself, we see that this, this experience was one that was not just in that moment, but for the rest of their lives. And now we are experiencing the same. And so we need to make a decision uh, for ourselves that we're going to trust God um, and do what he says and not the insinuations of the enemy. Because the problem here was that they distrusted. What the uh, enemy was trying to do is to distrust God's love and his wisdom. Because if he loves us, he's not going to keep anything from us that is good. And if he says uh, something to do and we think, well, I have a better idea, then we are distrusting his wisdom. We think we know more than God. Continuing in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 55, it says, Satan represented to the holy pair that they would be gainers by breaking the law of God. Do we not today hear similar reasoning? Many talk of the narrowness of those who obey God's commandments while they themselves claim to have broader ideas and to enjoy greater liberty. What is this but an echo of the voice from Eden? In a day ye eat thereof, transgress the divine requirement, ye shall be as gods. So the enemy is always trying to um, lead us to transgress the, the commandments of God, to go against the requirements or the um, counsels that he has given us. Eve really believed the words of Satan, but her belief did not save her from the penalty of sin. She disbelieved the word of God and that, and this was what led to her fall. In the judgment, men will not be condemned because they continuously believe a lie, conscientiously believed a lie, but because they did not believe the truth. Because they neglected the opportunity of learning what is truth. We must set our hearts to know what is truth. All the lessons which God has caused to be placed on record in his word are for our warning and instruction. They're given to save us from deception. Their neglect will result in ruin to ourselves. Whatever contradicts God's word, we may be sure proceeds from Satan. So we're giving uh, here clear understanding of what happened that day and the fact that when we disbelieve God, when we believe the Satan, it's because we're disbelieving God. Because if we believe what God said is it's truth and we have perfect faith in him, then any insinuation that comes against that, we will reject it. 
And so we need to set our hearts to love truth and to follow truth and to know truth. In 2 Thessalonians 2.10 it says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So the people are going to perish just because they didn't receive the love of the truth. So we have to not just know the truth, but love the truth. Oh, sorry. Speaking here of Eve, it says in Councils on Health, page 108, she ate, and thinking that she felt the sensation of a new and more exalted life, she bore the fruit to her husband. So here she ate it, and she actually felt that she had reached this experience that the enemy said. But what's really interesting is that we are told by inspiration that Adam did not believe the lie, that he knew it was, it was a trick of the devil. But yet, it tells us in Patriots and Prophets, page 57, that Adam, after his transgression, Adam at first imagined himself entering upon a higher state of existence. So when we go a different way that God tells us, sometimes we actually feel that's working. And we see things that makes us think, well, see, there's no problem with that. It wasn't that bad. Things are going well. I'm receiving what I thought I would receive. So we cannot go by the experiences we have if they're not matching up what God says. And so a lot of times people will tell you, well, you know, this is how I dedicated my children. Look, they're doing well. God have mercy on us and, and He will lead us, but we, if we want the best path for ourselves, for our children, we need to follow what God says. And uh, the more we go outside of His will, the more dangers we're in, and the harder it will be for us to go in the right path. Let's look at the, uh, consider this, the, the experience of Israel of old. Many times like then we look around and we think that there's something that we're missing, but it's a lie. And they looked around and they believed that they needed to have a king like the other nations. They didn't trust the system that God had um, for them to be led. But even though God allowed them to have that, and many times we, we see that story and we say, see, God had this plan, but they came up with plan B and it worked out. But they themselves realized what a mistake they had made. And sometimes God allows us because he doesn't force us in his ways. He gives us what's best. But if we choose a different way, God will not force. And he allowed it. But look at the experience they had later. Eternity passed, page 482 says, The people saw what a mistake they had made in desiring a king, that they might not be different from the nations around them. Many looked with alarm at the condition of society, fast becoming leavened with godlessness. Bitter were the reflections of the people as they looked upon Samuel's quiet resting place and remembered their folly in rejecting him as their ruler. For he had so close a connection with heaven that he seemed to bind all Israel to the throne of Jehovah. Samuel had taught them to love and obey God, but now he was dead. The people felt they were left to the mercies of a king who was joined to Satan and who would divorce the people from God and heaven. So afterwards, when they look back, they saw the condition that they have come into and they realize what a mistake they have made. And sometimes when we realize that it is too late. So God's ways are better. And you may be thinking, what does this have to do with education? So I'm going to go there. 
These are the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. The tree of life produces the fruit of true education and the tree of knowledge produces the fruit of false education. And before you think I'm teaching heresy, I'm going to share a quote that actually says that. This quote is from an article that was written in the General Conference Daily Bulletin in March 6, 1899. The article name is The Tree of Life and the Tree of Knowledge, and it says, The Garden of Eden was not only Adam's dwelling, but his schoolroom. As in that school, so in the school of earth today, two trees are planted, the tree of life, which bears the fruit of the true education, the tree of knowledge yielding the fruit of science falsely so-called. And so all through her writings, Ellen White uh, refers to the false system of education as a science falsely so-called. And that's because true science does not go against the principles of God. So anything that goes against the principles of God is a false science or false education. In Counsels to Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 12, it says, the tree of knowledge, so-called, has become an instru instrument of death. Satan has artfully woven his dogmas, his false theories, into the instruction given. From the tree of knowledge, he speaks the most pleasing flattery in regards to the higher education. Thousands partake of the fruit of this tree, but it means death to them. Christ says, ye spend money for that which is not bread. Isaiah 52.2 You are using your heaven-entrusted talents to secure an education with God pronounces foolishness. So here we see how so here we see how in, um, in this tree of knowledge um, we end up uh, many for, to get this kind of knowledge, this kind of education spend their money. But God is, is, is leading us to consider what we're spending our money and our time in um, and an education that will not uh, draw us closer to him. In the same book, page 64, it says, there is an education which is essentially worldly. Its aim is success in the world, the gratification of selfish ambition. To secure this education, many students spend time and money in crowding their minds with unnecessary knowledge. The world accounts them learned, but God is not in their thoughts. They eat of the tree of worldly knowledge, which nourishes and strengthens pride. In their hearts, they become disobedient and, in, in, and strang, estranged sorry, from God, and their entrusted gifts are placed on the enemy's side. Much of the education at the present time is of this character. The world may regard it as highly desirable, but it increases the perils of the student. So what the world considers great in the eyes of heaven is not the same. In the world, we look for an education so that we can be recognized, so that we can make money and have a nice house, a nice car, a nice life. But what God wants us to do is to learn so that we can serve, not so that we can um, please ourselves. 
Uh, and these principles are very opposite to one another. And so the education that we have, whether it's in the school system or in our lives, because we are being educated by everything that we see, that we listen to, that we do. From the moment that we are conceived, all the ways of our lives. Even in heaven, we're told we're going to continue learning from all eternity. So school is not something that happens in a building or in a period of your life. Learning is something that happens all your life. So true education is something we need every person, whether you have children or not, whether you're a teacher or a student, everyone should understand these principles because we are all students of the great teacher. And if we don't understand his principles and how he's teaching us, we miss the lessons that he's teaching. The Saravages, page 86 says, his brothers, this is Jesus' brothers, as the sons of Joseph were called, sided with the rabbis. They insisted that the traditions must be heeded as if they were the requirements of God. They even regarded the precepts of men more highly than the word of God. And they were greatly annoyed at the clear penetration of Jesus in distinguishing between the false and the true. His strict, strict obedience to the law of God they condemned as stubbornness. They were surprised at the knowledge and wisdom he showed in answering the rabbis. Uh, they knew that he had not received instruction from the wise men, yet they could not but see that he was an instructor to them. They recognized that his education was of a higher type than their own, but they did not discern that he had access to the tree of life a source of knowledge of which they, they were ignorant. So even though the, the brothers of Jesus, they could tell that the education Jesus had was superior, they couldn't understand and realize that he was getting his education from the, from the source of the tree of life. Eternity Past, page 17, says the tree of knowledge was to be a test of the obedience, faith, and love of our first parents and it is still to us today, right? So here's where we show our obedience, our trust to God. Second Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so Paul even was, was concerned that um, the people in his time would be deceived like he was. And so this has been always a concern in the, in the eyes of heaven. And we have plenty to give us. Sorry, I'm going ahead of you, huh? Sorry. Because I can see two slides in here. But Ellen White many times says we should point um, people to the cross. And there's much we can learn in the cross. And this quote uh, in Temperance, page 286, says, When God gave his son, he gave all all heaven he could give no more if we look at the cross and see the sacrifice that was made then we will have the trust in God that and we won't believe that lie of the devil that God is keeping something if he gave all all heaven in the gift of Christ why would he keep anything from us and we're reminded of that in the promise in Psalms 84.11, where it says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will, will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. 
So when you're tempted to believe that some, God is keeping something from you, that if you follow his principles, you're going to miss out on something, remember that God loves us with an everlasting love. He gave all of heaven. And even though the cross is the manifestation of his love, it was not the, 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 the it didn't start it and end there. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, all the way even now, God is still investing all of heaven to bring you and I back to himself. And out of this love, he has given us the word of God in the Bible, the inspired writings of Ellen White, that we may be brought back to himself. This is his desire when he gives us education, agriculture, the health message, all these things is for this reason. And he will not withhold anything that is good for us. So we can trust in him. Even if it looks that we are missing out, we can trust in God. In Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the upright, unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we need to remember this all the time. Our minds think in a sinful way, in a worldly way, and our thoughts cannot parallel to God. So we need to trust what he says and, um, and follow him. But the precious promise here is it doesn't matter if we've gone the wrong direction. When we can see where, uh, the, direction, uh, the correct direction, we can turn our way and come to God. In 1 uh, Kings 18, 21, it says, And Elijah came unto the people and said, How long shall, thou, uh, how long shall ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And here is the question for us too. We cannot keep combining the world with God's system. We need to make a decision. If God be God, let's follow his way. What tree are you eating from? Who, who will you believe? So I'm going to go into the next presentation. Here is a foundational principle for us to understand where the true education and false education start. It started right in the Garden of Eden. And for us to follow God's way, whether it's in education or anywhere else, we have to really have that trust in Him. Now I'm going to go into um, a presentation that goes through the true uh, purpose of true education. Because if you're going to have the right kind of education, you need to know what the purpose is. And so here... The true purpose of true education. Okay, in Council's Parents, Teachers, and Students, in page 49, it says, By a misconception of the true nature and object of education, many have been led into serious and even fatal errors. So when we don't understand what the true purpose is, it's fatal. This is why we're going to take this time to look at what the purpose is. So as a teacher, uh, unfortunately, I was trained in the worldly system of education in 10 years I taught in public schools. So when I came to understand about true education and started, I had to relearn everything. And it took me a long time to unlearn and then relearn, and I'm still learning. Um, and in this, uh, in this process, I decided, well, I need to find out what true education is. 
and I did a search in the writings of Ellen White um, to find the quotes that define what true education is because I found that many people had different ideas of what it was. So these are some of the quotes I found, not all of them, uh, that kind of defined um, the purpose of true education. In the book of education, page 13, and by the way, if you haven't read this book, uh, highly recommend that you read it, not just once, maybe twice or three times. As a teacher, I've made it a point to read um, all the books of, that are uh, given to us on education and start them again because we, as a people, often forget. So uh, it's good to review why we do what we do. So in, in this um, page 13, it says, ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. There's a need of a broader scope, a higher aim. True education means more than the pursuit of a certain course of study. It means more than a preparation for the life that it now is. It has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. So here's one of the purposes of education, right, is to prepare the student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. So it prepares for this life and the next, but with one purpose, for service. But when we look at education, we're not looking at serving others. We usually look at how we're going to serve ourselves, what I'm going to get out of it. And many times pe uh, people are thinking of education that would pay them a lot of money so that they can have the life they want. And so when we're looking at education, if we look at what the real purpose is, we will be guided in the right direction. In the same book of education, page 30 says, in the highest sense, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. When we understand how related education is with our salvation, we would definitely take it more serious to follow God's ways because uh, going the opposite way just brings dangers in our path. Acts of the Apostles, page 530 says, Having received the faith of the gospel, the next work of the believer is to add to his character virtue and thus cleanse the heart and prepare the mind for the reception of the knowledge of God. This knowledge is the foundation of all true education and of all true service. So if the knowledge of God is the foundation of all true education, when we look at this, this, the school systems of the world and, and some even of our schools, and if that's not where it's leading to the knowledge of God, we can tell that that's not a true uh, system of education because this is the foundation of it, that we may know God um, through all the sciences. Uh, Child Guidance 293 says, true education means more than taking a certain course of study. It is broad. It includes the harmonious development of all the physical powers and the mental faculties. It teaches the love and fear of God and is a preparation for the faithful discharge of life's duties. So in the true system of education, children and youth should be taught how to faithfully do the duties of life. Not just how to prepare for a career, but just to be faithful in every duty that they find at home, at school, at work, in the neighborhood, in their church. 
Okay, same book, page 293 says, the first great lesson in all education is to know and understand the will of God. Ministry of Healing 395. True education is missionary training. Every son and daughter of God is called to be a missionary. We're called to the service of God and our fellow men. And to fit us for this service should be the object of our education. Right, and that this, this does not mean that every person needs to be trained to go into the mission field as we know it. But this whole world is a mission field. And so when we go into education with a mindset that we are going to uh, receive a training and education that's going to help us to, be, to win souls for Christ, whether we work in the mission field, whether we work in the, in the work of the church, or whether we work in a secular job, um, we need to be learning something that is for to, that is going to give us opportunities um, to share with, with others and, and to bring them to Christ. So if you have a job uh, and it's you know, a secular job and you're not there being a witness in some way or another, then you're missing your, your purpose in this life. Um, so you know, I just wanted to uh, be understood that God is not calling all of us uh, though in these end times we are really in need of more workers in the vineyard of the Lord. Um, many of our places are going without because people are more interested in making money. But there is a place for people to be in different places to be a light. And, and the education that we give our children will determine whether they will be a light in those places or will just be there to make money and go home. Right? The way that we educate them will help them to do their service wherever they are. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to the Creator. This is in Education, page 17. Individuality, power to think and to do. The men in whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise, and who influence character. It is the work of true education to develop this power, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of others' men's thoughts, right? And this is very important. I worked in public schools, and the system of the world is only teaching children to follow what you're told. And all our tests and all our, our, our programs are based on, we feature information and you repeat it back. We truly do not teach children to be thinkers. And we're preparing them to follow whatever the world decides. And so they go and they follow because that's what they were taught in the system of education. But it's important that they are taught really to be thinkers for themselves. Because soon we're going to have laws um, that are going to force us to follow a system that it's wrong. And if they have not learned to think for themselves, they're just going to follow. This goal continues. Instead of confining their study to that which men have said or written, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields open for research in nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the great facts of duty and destiny, and the mind will expand and strengthen. Instead of educated weaklings, institutions of learning may send forth men strong to think and to act. Men who are masters and not slaves of circumstances. Men who possess breadth of mind, clearness of thought, and the courage of their convictions. And so if we expect our children in a time, and even ourselves, in a time where it's going to be life of death, to follow our convictions, to stay firm, we have to teach them to be thinkers.
Education page 18 says, such an education provides more than mental discipline, it provides more than physical training. It strengthens the character so that truth and uprightness are not sacrificed to selfish desire or worldly ambition. It fortifies the mind against evil. Instead of some master passion becoming a power to destroy, every motive and desire are brought into conformity to the great principles of right. As the perfection of his character is dwelt upon, the mind is renewed and the soul is recreated in the image of God. And so this is very important. We understand the, the spiritual link in the right system of education because it's going to prepare us to withstand evil, to withstand temptations, and to stay in the, right, in the safe path. Page 16 of the same book, it says, Love, the basis of creation and of redemption, is the basis of true education. Right? We know that God is love, and anything that comes from Him is love. So we need to understand that the basis of uh, true education is also love. Um, Eternity Past, page 433, says the true object of education is to restore the image of God in the soul. Sin has well nigh obliterated the image of God in man. To bring him back to the perfection in which he was first created is the great object of life. It is the work of parents and teachers in the education of the youth to cooperate with the divine purpose. Every faculty, every attribute, which with the Creator has endowed us, is to be employed for His glory and for the upbuilding of our fellow man. You know, as we contemplate on these principles and we see these things, we can recognize easily that it is opposite to everything that the worldly education is really exalting and uh, leading our young people to do. And this is why they come out of college and they want nothing to to do with serving God and we suffer from want of workers for the Lord. In um, Counsel to, to Parents, Teachers and Students, page 434 it says, in all, our all, in all your teaching never forget that the greatest lesson to be taught and to be learned is the lesson of co-partnership with Christ in the work of salvation. The education to be secured by searching the scriptures is an experimental knowledge of the plan of salvation. Such an education will restore the image of God in the soul. It will strengthen and fortify the mind against temptation and fit the learner to become a worker with Christ in his mission of mercy to the world. It will make him a member of the heavenly family, prepare him to share the inheritance of the saints in light. Same book, page 361 says, the great object of education is to enable us to use the power which God has given us in such a manner as to represent the religion of the Bible and promote the glory of God. So in our schools or in our home, we need to be teaching our children to be representing the religion of the Bible and to promote the glory of God. Now I'm going to briefly uh, share the, God's original plan for education. In education page 33, it says, The system of education established in Eden centered in the family. Adam was the son of God, and it was from the, their father that the children of the higher received instruction. Theirs 
in the truest sense, was a family school. In the divine plan of education, as adapted to man's condition after the fall, Christ stands as the representative of the Father, the connecting link between God and man. He's the great teacher of mankind, and he ordained that the he ordained that men and women should be his representatives. The family was the school, and the parents were the teachers. And Jesus followed that plan. The child Jesus did not receive instruction in the synagogue schools. His mother was his first human teacher. From her lips and from the scrolls of the prophets, he learned of heavenly things. But God did ordain our schools and institute them. So we're going to see why, though he was his original plan for the school to be in the home, why he ordained our schools. This is education, page 45, and it says, Wherever in Israel God's plan of education was carried into effect, its results testify of its author. But in, in very many households, the training appointed by heaven and the characters thus developed were alike rare. God's plan was partially and imperfectly, but partially and imperfectly fulfilled. By unbelief and by disregard of the Lord's direction, the Israelites surrounded themselves with temptations that few had power to resist. Fathers and mothers in Israel became indifferent to their obligation to God, indifferent to their obligation to their children. Through unfaithfulness in the home and idolatrous influences without, many of the Hebrew youth received an education differing widely from that which God had plan planned for them. They learned the ways of the heathen. Continues, to meet this growing evil, God provided other agencies as an aid to parents in the work of education. From the earliest times, prophets had been recognized as teachers divinely appointed in the highest sense. The prophet was one who spoke by direct inspiration, communicating to the people the messages that he had received from God. But the name was given also to those who, thought, though not so directly inspired, were divinely called to instruct the people in the works and ways of God. For the training of such a class of teachers, Samuel, by the Lord's direction, established the schools of the prophets. So these were the first schools that were established. And um, counsels to teachers, parents, and students, it says, He will open ways before us to establish small schools in retired places for the education of our youth, not only in the scriptures and in book learning, but in many lines of manual labor. The necessity of establishing such schools is urged upon me very strongly because of the cruel neglect of many parents properly to educate their children in their home. Same book, page 417, as long as time shall last, we shall have need of schools. So, and I share this because there's always this shame put on the people who send their children to school. Um, but God has the plan for both. Though the original plan and still the ideal plan is the home. But sometimes the home is not an ideal place. Um, and when the parents are not united in what they're doing, it really is probably best for those children to go to the school because this unity between the two parents causes confusion in the children. And in some cases, you have a single mother who has to work, and how does she provide education for her children? But it is important that we find the right schools. There are not many, but they are there, and the Lord will guide us 
to the best place. And as we do our best part, he will protect our children. I'm going to share one last quote in this uh, section. Uh, it's one that really um, touched me because it helped me realize how high is the aim for our schools. This is talking about the end times and it says, when heavenly intelligences see that men are no longer permitted to present the truth, the Spirit of God will come upon the children and they will do a work in the proclamation of the truth which the older workers cannot do because their way will be hedged up. In the closing scenes of this earth history, many of these children and youth will astonish people by their witness to the truth which will be born in simplicity yet with spirit and power. They have been taught the fear of the Lord and their hearts have been softened by a careful and prayerful study of the Bible. In the near future, many children will be endued with the Spirit of God and will do a work in proclaiming the truth to the world that at the time at that time cannot well be done by the older members of the church. And we know that times are going to come when we're not going to have the ability to speak freely. And the Lord is going to use our children. And here's the, the part that really touched me. By the way, this is Adventist home, page 489. Our church schools are ordained by God to prepare the children for this great work. And if we consider that this is what we're preparing the children for. There's a lot of foolishness in our schools that will not be there because not only is it not preparing them, but it's a hindrance for them to be ready to be used by the Holy Spirit. It continues, here children are to be instructed in the special truths for, their, for this time and in practical missionary work. They're to enlist in the army of workers to help the sick and the suffering. Children can take part in the medical missionary work and buy their chuts and tittles can help to carry it forward. By them, God's message will be made known and his saving health to all nations. Then let the church carry a burden for the lambs of the flock. Let the children be educated and trained to do service for God. Many people ask me, so. What resources do you recommend that I use when I'm teaching, whether in the school or in the home? And I always lead people to these because they're true everywhere, anywhere, any part of the world. God has given us plenty. This is not meaning that you can't use other resources, but you need to start with the Book of Education, Fundamentals of Christian Education, Councils, Parents, Teachers, and Students, Child Guidance. And there's a, sec, uh, a little booklet, it's, I don't know if it's still in print, that's called Councils on Education, but you can find them also in the Testimonies, Volume 6, I believe, to have those. If you have any uh, questions or if you uh, would like to have um, the, the slides, you can contact me at my email, which is my first name, eleida7 at aol.com. Um, on the next, person, ne the next two sessions, I'm going to be looking at, based on the principles of education and what we're told, what we should be teaching, the curriculum we should be teaching. And I'm going to give you some, some examples uh, of what uh, I did with the children at the elementary school, but these are things that can be done at home. We ran our school very much like a home. Um, and so it will be a more um, practical type of presentation in the next sessions. 
So we're going to close uh, here with prayer and um, we'll give you a 15 minute break and um, continue with um, the curriculum that God has given us. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you, we can trust you love and that you have a love everlasting that promises that you will not keep any good thing from us. Help us to remember this as we study not just about education, but agriculture, health, any aspect of the messages that you have given us, that we would never doubt that what you gave us is best and that we have nothing uh, to look for in the world, that there's nothing that the world has for us. Uh, this requires great faith, dear Lord, that we do not have. So. I pray, dear Lord, we believe, help thou and believe that we may grow in this experience and knowledge and that we are, ourselves will partake of true education as we are your students day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org